Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include passing costs on borrowers, my interview with Richie Mays, Nathan Lee on profitable versus unprofitable mortgage companies and how to get in the proper growth mindset for 2024, and why there was a lot of green on the screens in capital markets land yesterday. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. Tomorrow is the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. And no, my dad wasn't working on a trading desk slinging mortgage-backed securities then. In those days, news traveled via word of mouth. Rare newspapers, sermons, personal letters, or broadsides. People had time to think about things and contemplate. Nowadays, there are plenty of places from which to glean financial news, and unfortunately, the press is not one for putting good news in the headlines. Navy Fed finds itself in the crosshairs of CNN, breaking news of data on black and white borrower approval rates. CNN claims the nation's largest credit union rejected more than half of its black conventional mortgage applicants. Uh Uh-oh. Can regulators be far behind on this one? How much wealth was not created for minorities because of these actions? How did Navy Federal treat other groups, i.e. single females or Hispanics? Lenders everywhere are interested in passing more costs on to borrowers regardless of race, and if so, which costs. Charging for credit reports up front is certainly likely. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back onto the show Richie Mays Nathan Lee to talk about profitable versus unprofitable mortgage companies and how to get in the proper growth mindset for 2024. He's partner in charge of advisory services. He joined Richie May in 2004, serving in a variety of capacities during his tenure at the company, including leading the firm's overall growth strategy as well as the firm's national mortgage banking practice. As I mentioned, he's currently the partner in charge of Richie May Advisory LLC, the firm's advisory and technology consulting practice, where he's responsible for strategy, growth, and leadership. He also maintains an active role in the mortgage industry and is a regular contributor to the firm's mortgage banking technical literature including client memoranda, white papers, and industry presentations. You know, there's a, a funny little phrase out there that's that's been going around. It's survive until 25 for a lot of companies, which I don't like because it's pessimistic. Uh, although hope is obviously not a strategy, but there's another set of companies that are looking to grow more in 24. I like, I like that rhyme a little better. And so I want to ask you, because in your role, you have a... a keen eye into this. What do you feel like is separating the companies hoping to survive versus those that are looking to grow? Ultimately, it comes down to a mindset difference. You know, there there just are some companies that are led by individuals that are, call it maybe more entrepreneurial. They're willing to take more risks. Maybe they're, maybe, maybe they have a longer time horizon in the industry. And so they just want to take advantage of a down market and do as much recruiting as they can of branches and loan officers 
because they know that when the market turns around, they're going to be in much better position. And and you really do see a difference uh, between those two groups of companies that you described, uh, really kind of correlated to the age of the owners. And you see it just a lot more frequently frequently with companies that are uh, owned by individuals that are getting closer retirement age. They're just not quite as aggressive um, from a growth standpoint. And uh, they're they're getting to the point where they're ready to hang them up probably and and riding out this last down cycle and then and then maybe uh, do something on the back end of that when when things improve. But you do see some companies out there owned by younger individuals that are just, you know, much more aggressive and they're really, they're looking for production. They're out trying to recruit and build doing that at a time when they know that the industry is down and trying to do it in a way that is prudent. They're not getting out over their skis too much. I'd say some companies probably are, uh, but uh, the smart ones are doing it in a smart way. And they're trying to bring on the right production, the right producers, the ones that can legitimately produce, do have good referral relationships. They're going to get purchase business and they're not paying uh, really big signing bonuses or anything else because it just puts the company at risk. And so they're they're going out and they're recruiting and they're doing that with just vision and growth and painting a picture of a company that's a good place to be. And they're, they're trying to go out there and and really um, take advantage of this opportunity to grow, uh, because there are producers that are that are moving around. They're leaving companies where they feel like, um, you know, they're just they're just coasting or maybe dying a slow death or whatever it might be. And they're looking for opportunities to go and join companies that are going to be around for the long term um, and are going to provide opportunities for the producers, be it you know products or or whatever it might be. So certainly mindset helps and it does make a difference too if people are willing to put the nose down to the grindstone and, and really go to work uh, and, and double down and, and see how they can be more productive. I want to ask you though, when it comes to book a business, are you seeing a difference between profitable clients and less profitable ones? Is it down to products? Is it down to servicing portfolios? What are you, what are you seeing in the data? Yeah, there are a couple things I think that are key drivers of uh, profitability, uh, the differences between companies that are performing fairly well or holding up okay, whatever words you might use to describe it, uh, versus those that are experiencing a lot more challenges. And you pointed to one of them that that is a, uh, is certainly a common thread, and that is servicing portfolio. Companies that have a decent amount of servicing and uh, that servicing is producing uh, some meaningful, uh, some meaningful income. It's it's producing cash. Um, they're they've had the benefits over the last couple of years of increases in the value of that servicing uh, as interest rates have moved up. We'll see what happens here this month and with the end of end of year marks on those servicing portfolios because of the decline in interest rates over the last you know month or so uh so that could be that could be the first time in the last couple of years where those servicing portfolio valuations are coming in a little bit lower uh so that could have an impact and could change that calculus as you look at 
the difference between the companies that are performing well and those that aren't. Um, but at least up till now, over the last couple of years through this down cycle, this, the servicing, having a servicing portfolio has been, uh, has been a benefit uh, to companies that have had one. Uh, then one of the other things I think that, that often gets uh, overlooked is when you look at the performance of better companies versus the others, um, a significant portion of the difference in performance is in sales costs, sales and sales support. And, you know, think of, think of things like um, signing bonuses, retention bonuses, maybe paying a commission split that's a little higher than, than the market, uh, paying overrides to branch managers and regional managers, uh, producers that have loan officer assistance that probably shouldn't have loan officer assistance because they're not doing that much production. And companies keep low producing uh, loan officers and low producing branches. And those also act as a drag on performance. And so you add all that together and the companies that do a better job of managing that sales organization um, and keep the structure lean and aren't providing overrides to, to everybody and they keep the commissions uh, at an appropriate level and don't have all the signing bonuses and everything else. Those that, that maintain and, and operate that sales organization effectively and leanly are performing a lot better than the others. And so that the difference in performance between those two companies, a lot of it comes down to that sales organization. And then as you look through the rest of the P&L on a lot of the other expense items, there's not that much of a difference, right? There's a basis point here, a couple basis points there, but not enough to really drive significant differences in performance. Most of it is in sales costs and and sales support. And, uh, and then there's some tied to servicing uh, because those were where they're getting that that extra mark from the servicing or getting a benefit from uh, from an income statement standpoint. So those are the two main categories. That's very focused on the originator side, but I want to talk about Richie May for a minute here. And obviously, Richie May wants to grow too. So when it comes to the overall growth strategy for the company on the advisory side of things, uh, the consulting practice, how, how's Richie May looking to grow? We, we've always tried to be really focused on doing things that our clients need. And so we, we rely on client requests and inquiries um, to drive the decisions that we make about the services that we provide to our clients, the products that we take out to the market. And so over the years, we've added a number of, of new service offerings and, and products to our suite or to the menu. And uh, we, we just try to, we try to focus on the areas where, where we can do things well, where we can leverage the expertise that we have as a professional services firm, uh, the talent that we have around you know, accounting, finance, and do things that are helpful to our clients that help them to reduce costs through outsourcing some services to us. Um, 
And so, you know, over the years, we've done things like, you know, outsourced internal audit and we do subservicer oversight work. We do cybersecurity work for clients and which really is kind of an outsourcing of some cybersecurity advisory type work, uh, accounting services where we're, where we're providing outsourced accounting services to clients. And so really looking at those areas where we're still doing professional services work uh, leveraging the the understanding and the knowledge that we have in the industry, and leveraging a team of talented experts that can do that can do other things for our clients that they come to us and ask for. And so over the years, we've we've been successful at identifying uh, those areas and and growing those practices here at the firm, identifying good leaders that can that can lead them, that will be good client servants, and uh, that will focus on those relationships, make sure that clients are well taken care of and happy. And, and uh, so we try to, you know, we, we've always tried to be really thoughtful and we're going to continue to be thoughtful uh, as we go forward and, and uh, identifying those areas where we can add value to clients and, and uh, because they certainly have needs and uh, companies I think have gotten to the point where they've realized they don't need to uh, they don't need to do all of those things in-house and internally and build up a team to do all of that. And it's just a little bit, it's more efficient, more cost-effective to outsource. And so we'll continue to look for ways that we could do that going forward. And uh, and and so, you know, those those will be the, the areas where we focus. I talk to people almost every day on this podcast, and a big theme this year has been technology or you, you could say machine learning and AI, but overall digitalization of the space and how that can ultimately drive down costs and make processes more efficient. And so when you're advising clients on technology matters, uh, what are you saying to them? I mean, obviously they, they feel inundated with all these tech options, but the tech might not necessarily play well with itself. The tech stack might not create a seamless process. So how are you advising clients on technology matters? That's a really good question, Robbie. I think the the data is interesting uh, in this area, and what it has shown consistently over the last several years, as companies have been making significant investments in technology, it shows actually that there's a negative correlation between technology investment and profitability. Now, you might say that that doesn't that's not shocking uh, because companies are making investments into technology uh, in hopes that in the future it's going to yield a return. Uh, and so you could argue that we just haven't gotten to the point yet where those those investments into technology uh, are providing a return. Uh, but what what you see in the data now is that companies that overspend on technology are actually uh, not getting the benefits at least today. Again, like I said, maybe that'll happen in the future, but at least as 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 things stand right now, they're not getting the benefit of those technology investments. And so I think a lot of companies are coming to the realization that a lot of the investments that have been made for, you know, this this widget off the shelf and that widget off the shelf has uh, has not produce the results that they were hoping for and has led to probably some inefficiencies in operations when they were actually trying to achieve the opposite. 
they're trying to drive efficiency. It's, it's actually led to inefficiency because now they're trying to connect uh, all these disparate systems up. They produce somewhat of a Frankenstein. And so now they're trying to, uh, they're, they're trying to operate the business really efficiently, but they have all these systems that don't talk well to each other, don't play well together. And so we, we talk about that regularly with clients and, uh, and encourage them to be very disciplined and thoughtful about the bigger picture as they make technology investments and don't just go and buy every shiny new object off the shelf. So in the work that we do for clients, we, again, we just remind them, encourage them uh, to be thoughtful and diligent as they make decisions around technology because they can identify solutions that solve little spot use cases, but but then those systems just don't play well together and and it ends up being a challenge for them to get the return out of those uh, investments that they make into those technology solutions that solve those spot cases. So they need to think bigger picture and be strategic uh, at a high level uh, as it relates to the, the decisions they make about technology investments. And finally, Richie May is a thought leader in the space. And part of that is putting out white papers, it's hosting webinars, it's providing clients valuable information in a timely manner. What do you feel like is most valuable to your clients right now, or is providing the most value for them in this market? I'd say the, the it's critical for companies to really be uh, focused on data and benchmarking. And so, um, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time here internally uh, refining some of the data offerings that we have out in the market, um, doing webinars to, to share best practices around the use of data and business intelligence, how to get live benchmarking data that can inform the decisions that are made it's it's a different business now it's you could even argue that even prior to covid coming out of the financial crisis there was a there was a good run of of 10 years there uh, before covid and then obviously the two years during covid they were blowout years from a production standpoint but even before that those those 10 years have been pretty good and and I guess you could say even going back before the financial crisis um, to the refi booms back in 2003, four, five. Um, so you could say there's just been a good run of strong production for quite a while now and, and low interest rates. And that's not likely to be the case going forward. There's supply shortages of homes. Uh, interest rates are going to be higher than they had been, uh, and a lot of people have mortgages in the twos and threes and, and aren't all that motivated to go and refinance those mortgages. So volume's gonna stay lower than it has been probably over the last 15 years for a while. And companies are just gonna have to be much more focused on operating their businesses as efficiently as they can. When times are really good, covers up a, covers up a lot of sins and a lot of mistakes. And you can be heavy and be bloated in certain areas and, and get away with it. But in this environment, companies have to just be much, much more focused on how they're performing, 
where they can improve operations, where they become more efficient, where they can get more lean, how how to maintain margins, um, and and doing that while benchmarking themselves to others to find out where am I uh, underperforming my peers? Uh, where am I where am I heavy? Uh, what can I do to adjust? And uh, and so we're spending a lot of time uh, internally. Uh, continuing to refine the things that we take out to the market, the messaging around data, the offerings that we have around benchmarking and data, uh, because I I really believe that that is going to be a a significant difference maker uh, going forward for a number of years to come. Very well put. And I'm with you. I think in tough times, it leads to better growth for companies that we're going to come out of this a uh, much more lean, mean industry and it is it's exciting in that sense so nathan very thank you very much for the time as always really appreciate it good catching up with you yep no you bet always great robbie thanks for reaching out and happy to do it anytime and uh always a pleasure to be on with you there was a lot of green on the screens yesterday in the wake of the fed admitting that it the next move in its fed funds rate will be downward Based on current market conditions, few in the mortgage world are ready to say tis the season to be jolly, but the Fed's latest outlook points to an increased possibility of a more upbeat 2024. More certainty over Fed policy is good news for the mortgage space overall, pushing down volatility and acting as support for MBS spreads. However, market exuberance has been overly optimistic and more dovish than the Fed throughout this tightening cycle. So with that in mind, markets are now pricing in six rate cuts, in 2024, with the first cut in March, after the Dubs won the day at the last FOMC meeting in 2023. Still, yesterday, the European Central Bank, Bank of England, Swiss National Bank, and Hong Kong Monetary Authority all left their key policy rates unchanged. In this country, today's economic calendar is underway with Empire Manufacturing for December, the clocked in at 109.42, whatever that means. Later today brings industrial production and capacity utilization for November, Preliminary to December S&P Global PMIs, and we begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Thursday's evening levels, the 10-year yielding 3.92 after closing yesterday at 3.93%, and the two-year at 4.41. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A husband and a wife are Christmas shopping at a busy shopping mall the weekend before Christmas. The wife suddenly noticed that her husband was missing, and as they had a lot to do, called him on his cell. Where are you? You know we have lots to do. He replied, Do you remember the jewelers we went into about ten years ago and you fell in love with that diamond necklace? I could not afford it at the time and I said that one day I'd get it for you. Little tears started to flow down her cheek and she got all choked up. Yes, I do remember that shop, she replied. Well, I'm at the gun shop next door, he said. (laughs) Thanks again to Richie May recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.